John Gormley, welcome aboard the Tuesday edition here at Agribition. We're at the Saskatchewan Cattlemen's Association booth where all of the handsome gentlemen and others are walking by and we're taking tons of pictures. And on location, if you want to find us, we're in the International Trade Center outside Exhibit Hall C. So today's show is, as we do every day, we just finished the hour of the big stories, but the beauty of being at Agribition is you do bump into the most interesting people in the world. Quit Dick McDick, the YouTube sensation, good buddy of this show over the years. How are you, man? Hey, I'm I'm great. It's good to see you. You know, it's it's great. It's always uh, it's always great to be at these places and and bump into people. I mean, we were basically taking pictures right up until we jumped on here. Yeah, you know, we were, but like it's, it's, it was funny. I saw you talking. Of course, Dave Merritt, Minister of Agriculture, he's yeah. running after you. I mean, it's <laughs> nice to see all of these people. It's, it's good. It takes a minute or two to get through the hallway here. You know what I mean? But it's it's great. You know, like with like you just get here and get to see a lot of people and take some pictures and say hi and sometimes you know put some put some names. To some faces, right? So, what has worked for you? I mean, you know, when you and I first met, you were just taken off on YouTube. I don't know how many years would that be. Uh, I, I'm closing in on like four and change here now. Okay, yeah. yeah. So before the pandemic, yeah. It's funny, you know, you always have to remember those two years. Of the yeah, I know, right? It's, you know, it's like it was it's, a couple of years ago. No, it wasn't. It yeah, was, it's like our landing point. That's where, like, we judge time according to those two years of misery. <laughs> you know I mean? Okay, yeah. So about four years. I mean, yeah. Why does this work? I, you know, I, I don't know. It's. Uh, I, I try not to commercialize a lot of what I do. That being said, I mean I do pop the odd promo in here and there. But I mean I think just the it's by the reason like great merch. Yeah, yeah okay, of course, yeah, absolutely. Made in Canada, of course, yeah. But uh, it, it's just I think it's just a matter of of resonating with people and just being real of, of what you do, kind of thing. And it's I think it's reason a lot of these comedy shows that have started doing have, have started taking off is just because after the show, my favorite part after doing a comedy show is when people come down and they're like, when you were talking about weddings, you described our wedding like to a T, and I was like, I know. Oh, it's everybody's wedding is like that, you know, but uh, it's just uh, I think it's more showing people how much we actually have in common where we, we live in a world where I think a lot of times social media can get us convinced that maybe we don't have a lot in common with Canadians anymore, uh, but we actually do. All you need to do is just put your phone away and pop yourself a, a barley hop mixture of uh, Saskatchewan goodness and uh and uh, lets them get with a beard stand on stage. Isn't that true? Because a lot of the scholars, I put in air quotes, have said that, that social media, which was supposed to build networks that intersected, have actually built silos where we're Absolutely. further away from people, yeah. right? To, to, to a certain extent, but, but like I was talking yesterday with a group of of, of the mentor program here, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, social media is a good thing though too, you know, because it's one of the tools that we have, especially here in agriculture. And I've been talking to a lot of cattle producers and a lot a lot of people who are mixed producers with grain and cattle. And social media is a great opportunity to share what you're doing and what works and what doesn't, you know. Instead of somebody you know having to take a, a lot of times when you do something in agriculture and you try it, it takes you one to two years before you actually see the results. Okay. Whereas if you have somebody that's kind of done along the lines of the same thing, either you can see and be like, well, that doesn't look like it worked out that well for him. Or, you know, hey, I see you tried this. What would you have for advice for me? So as much as social media can be the devil, it can also be one of the most important networking things that we have. That's you know? a good point. So along with the madness of the crowd <laughs> comes the wisdom of the crowd. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, you exactly. get that crowd big enough, you get a lot of wise people. Yeah, that's right. And I think uh, I think the reason that the, for some reason people continue to choose to watch me, I mean, how long that 
going to last for. I don't know, but I'll keep doing it while people watch. But I think the thing is, is I, I have no problem showing the bad side of agriculture, you know, <laughs> and not like the bad side, but like uh, everyone always on social media just wants to see the happiness and the goodness and the roses and the sunset behind the tractor or the perfectly planted field. Nobody wants to see the turbo line blown off of the 9770 with half of the cab that almost burnt off while it was doing it, you know, but I don't mind showing that stuff because uh, like anybody that does agriculture knows that it's just not perfect all the time, right? So it's if you show the imperfections of it as well, it gives us an opportunity to, to laugh at ourselves, you know, and if I give people an option to laugh at me, I, I, I metaphorically I have big shoulders, I'm kind of a skinny guy, but I don't mind people laughing at me, you know, it rolls off my back a little bit and, and it's fine, it, it just gives us an opportunity to, to be able to be kind of a community together, you know. YouTuber Quick Dick McDick, agribition survival tips, this was out last year, I love this, clean and use tail lights when driving, Regina drivers don't do this. Yeah, but like, I, I didn't notice until I got to the city how terrible I have become in using my indicators on my pickup truck because I'm pretty sure my left one doesn't even work on Morty, uh, but I won't tell anybody. It's a 94 F-150, but I just, when you're driving around Tufnell, everybody knows where you're turning. When you leave the post office, they know you're turning left because that's where your farm is, you know, but apparently down here when you go to turn on Louvand or whatever, people need to be indicated of which way you're turning. Well, okay, they need to be, yeah. but... You know, the old motto, too, is the woman who texted one day and said, my dad told me it's none of their business. <laughs> you shouldn't tell them what you're doing. Yeah, well, um, as, as soon as it's none of their business, then it's probably going to turn into SGI's business because they'll probably, yeah. Uh, hang out with someone who knows where they're going. Don't drink and drive. Use the shuttle service. Yep. Um, find a bathroom in the city. Hang out with your friends. Make sure your credit card bill is paid up. So Absolutely. That. Yeah, and so I actually just pressure tested that before I got here because I bought uh, Tanner Harlick's tarp at the auction there last night, so I had to go to the show office this morning, and there's always that moment there where they're, like, swiping it. You're like, uh, did I pay that down because <laughs> I think I bought some inputs on it here a little while ago. But the bathroom one's important too, you know, because we just get used to the world is your bathroom on the farm kind of thing. And when you come to the city, it's okay for the cattle to do their thing in the barn, but it's not okay for you to do your thing in the barn, you know. So you gotta you gotta keep track of that pretty close. Quick tick 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 with us. So. Your last, I mean, you do these regular, uh, some of them turn into great rants. Your last one on the carbon tax, holy cow, has that thing had some hits? Yeah, uh, it, 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 they, they seem to do, but like there's there's times where you, you take a lot of time, and I think I've told you this before, but like, you, like you'll take time, uh, man, the one that always comes to mind is the, is the kids' uh, oat video that I did where, like, I mean, it's 200 and some odd separate clips of showing kids, like, from, from seed to table, like how we grow oats and how you get oatmeal on your table right and the amount of time and effort you put in it like i would say i've got over 20 some odd hours into uh, collaborating and compiling and editing that video and putting it together and you know they do okay i don't do it for the views or for the clicks or for the likes i do it so people can watch it you know and i had a lady from california send me a picture of her kids watching that uh somehow the internet put it over their feed and she's like we had no idea this is where our oats came from wow. you know so like that's kind of mission accomplished or something like that but then that that day we were out processing cattle that day when when uh, when our federal uh prime minister had made the announcement of what was going to happen in Atlantic Canada with heat pumps and, and heating oil and I had no idea and I came home and like I made supper and I sat down and I was like okay hey, I gotta get doing some quick tech stuff here and I open up my computer and start scrolling through and I'm like he said what <laughs> and I just flipped the phone over and started recording and 
boom. Like, and that, but that huge response. Line. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, sometimes, but I mean, that's like that's kind of the the thing with the character Quick Dick. He's just like he's he's a real version of me, and I was just like, it's like I have my own personal Bugs Day Hour of Rage on my channel. I can just <laughs> I can just get it out there and let it go. You know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> what are we doing on the carbon tax? I mean, I think that should have exhibited now for anybody thinking, anybody being awake. This tax was never about it. It the, wasn't the climate and about carbon. It wasn't, but I feel like, uh, like from the feel that I get from everything now, I feel like the house of cards is starting to crumble. And I think that was the move that actually kicked one of the main cards out of the bottom of it, right? Okay. Because it because like this is a this is the guy that has touted this carbon tax for how long? Just admitted that it's obviously costing you more money to have this happen. Well, you've been telling us the entire time that you've implemented this tax, that it's not a tax and you get back more than you pay, which, I mean, I've done. I, I mean, it gets to the point where I'm like, I'm tired of ranting on this. Like, nobody's listening. We, we do not here in rural Saskatchewan get back more than we pay, no, you know? Never. And uh, I, But just from what I see here now, and, and I, I think you see it a lot in the in the official opposition's uh, uh, messaging, too, that, like, this next election is going to wind up being an election that has a lot to do with the carbon tax. I think it may actually be a referendum on it. And of course, originally, and this goes way back to the Trudeau election in 2015, a lot of us thought, you know, I mean, he was never mysterious. He always said he'd have a carbon tax. Why would you tax everything? It, Canadians said, yeah, okay. Once, twice, three times. and uh, Yeah, it, it makes no sense. And then, uh, you know, the tax on top of the tax, too, is just that I, I just don't understand how we can look at this as, as a country and be like, this is okay for the government to tax us on a tax. Yeah. That's a tax on something that we need to survive. You know what I mean? It's it, it's a tough thing to, to process how there's people that can still support it. But that being said, you always want to try and take the time and, and try and have a conversation with people that do support it because I want to get into the mind of them understanding how they come to the conclusion that they think they get more back than they pay, you know? And every time I've come to the conclusion that uh, that people just go off of the rebate check that they get back and what they get off of a tank of gas, I saw there was a, a, a teacher, a professor that was on, I shouldn't look at Twitter most of the time, <laughs> being like, well, here's how much I pay in gas and here's how much I drive my car, so this is how much I get back on the carbon tax. And I says, that's great. Uh, how did you come up with the formula, how you calculate how much the carbon tax affects the groceries that you buy at the store? Well, yeah. I, well I, I didn't. I was like, and you're teaching people? <laughs> <laughs> Quick tip, Mick tip yeah. dropping in. So wanted to ask you, before we leave, um, this has been, for me, just an absolute riot. Um, I've loved every day of this show, and as I was joking uh, to you before we started, I could do the show for the rest of my life, except it would be the rest of my life. So you know, there's a point at which you reach where you have to say it's time to pass the baton. So Evan Bray, good yeah. buddy of ours, Evan, you've hung out with Evan. Absolutely. Uh, he'll take the show Monday. But, uh, man, it's been just terrific, and it, I hope our paths will continue to cross. I'm, I'm sure they will, you know. And uh, I, you've been after me for years um, to stop calling you Mr. Gormley. You know, uh, yeah. so I'm going to do it once just because this is probably our last broadcast together. All right. Yes. And so I have written you a letter for your retirement. You're you're stepping aside because we know you're going to keep working. Okay, but it's you. a dear John letter because you're breaking up with us. Okay. <laughs> so here okay. we go, dear John. I wonder what things will be like in the tractor on those cold Saskatchewan days when it won't be you behind the mic, instead a guy named Evan Bray. I'm not quite sure how I would feel as I sit in my tractor cab cage without hearing you and Conspiracy Kevin go back and forth on Bugs Day, the hour of rage. And where will my day be as I chore away as I feel much less of a spark without hearing you at least once per day call the mayor of Saskatoon, Charlie Bikelines Clark. As we all grow older, our hairlines recede, and your head has become quite the glistener. And one day, I'm sure that I'll be there, too, still wearing my T-shirt that says, Angry Gormley Listener. 
As you step aside, I hope you take more time to spend with Marie on vacation. And thank you for your time you spent all these years being Saskatchewan's biggest conversation. Aw. Quick Dick McDick. Well, thank you, my friend. That's <laughs> very kind. Much appreciated. And uh, it's been a pleasure, man. And uh, it's, it's been great. Poet. It's been great to listen to you. Yeah, we're gonna miss you. And uh, but obviously, looking forward to what Evan's gonna bring to the show. And I'll still be tuning in on six fifty. And maybe we can heckle Evan together. Maybe we'll call together someday. <laughs> Quick Dick McDick, good friend of this show over the years, and a thoroughly fine human being. Okay, see you again. Yeah, good to see you, man. Enjoy the rest of the show. We are live at Agribition. I'm John Gormley on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. John Gormley, greetings, welcome, and uh, good to have you here. So, Quick Dick McDick, that little tribute he just did uh, almost brought a tear to my eye. What a sweet thing to say, of course. The YouTuber farmer comedian sensation who has been uh, a much welcome staple on this show for so many years, and uh, of course... I'm live on location at Agribition today, so a fitting place. Quick Dick, of course, spends a good bit of time here every year. Uh, often he does uh, some of his stand-up work, uh, other work that he does with ag organizations, and uh, good to have him by. Uh, coming up this morning, uh, 11 o'clock, uh, Senator Brent Cotter, uh, retired law prof and law dean at the U of S, uh, was a Trudeau-appointed senator who is actually acting as an independent. A number of Trudeau-appointed senators uh, sit in a caucus of independents and then do precisely what the Prime Minister and the Liberals want done when uh, some of their legislation comes to the Senate. Uh, But Cotter, to his credit, has been trying to get through Bill C-234. This is a bill that was a private member's bill in the House of Commons that the Liberals actually allowed to pass the House. And it gives a broader exemption on the carbon tax to farmers. Particularly, here's, for example, natural gas on grain dryers. Well, they agreed with that. It's in the bill. Uh, The bill's also uh, exempting natural gas used in barns and building facilities on the farm. Passes the House of Commons. Gets to the Senate, and these liberal-appointed senators then say, well, not so fast. You shouldn't get a carbon tax exemption on heating, ag barns, and ag, quote, industrial buildings. You should have to pay the carbon tax so you'll be incented to find a less carbon-polluting way to run your farm. I mean, this is just nonsense. So Senator Cotter has been trying to make sure these amendments uh, don't pass, but they did pass the Senate. So uh, the senator will be here at 11 o'clock this morning explaining... You've got the House passed the bill in one form, sends it to the Senate. The Senate puts these amendments on it, and then now it heads back to the House of Commons. So we'll find out what is going on in some of the tension in Ottawa. But, of course, the overarching concern is that the Trudeau cabinet, which has just been pushed so hard because the Prime Minister exempted heating oil, in the mainly in the Atlantic... And now he and his radical climate change environment minister, Stephen Gibor, are saying, 
no more exemptions for anyone, and they include farmers in that list. So uh, that'll be the big story here, 11 o'clock. Also, we are going to check in. uh, My buddy Grant McClellan, who so graciously invites us every year to the Saskatchewan Cattlemen's Association. He's the CEO with the Cattlemen. Uh, We'll get an update from McClellan here a little bit later on the state of livestock in Saskatchewan and things that we should know. Okay, here's a story. Uh, This one comes in the uh, National Post, uh, this morning's print edition. Glenn McGregor, uh, late of CTV, now writing for the Post, has reviewed the number of personal days taken by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau since he came to power in 2015. So you might not know, but the PMO issues a daily agenda. And this is a tradition that goes back now, a couple of prime ministers, giving you a sense where the prime minister is throughout each day. Now, matters that are confidential, they'll just say uh, prime minister in meetings, uh, in meetings you know, in this city or that city. So it's not a wide open agenda, and arguably I don't think it should be. But there is this notorious personal day, and sometimes the personal days show up at the oddest times. Uh, There might be a fairly important matter. The House of Commons may be sitting. The House of Commons may be braying over a certain issue, a question period, and where's the Prime Minister? He'll be on a personal day. Now, the PMO maintains that even though they list a day as personal, it still means the Prime Minister may be working. And uh, because, of course, let's be quite frank, Prime Ministers don't punch a time clock. Can you think of any job in the world where you aren't working seven days a week? It's when you're the Prime Minister. I mean, even when you're on vacation, there are briefings, there are pretty important things to do, because after all, you are running a country. And this is 980 CJME and 650 John Gormley, good to have you here. Welcome, and uh, gosh, are we having some kind of day? Fifty-second annual agribition, and uh, I have never done uh, as many uh, selfies and uh, just people stopping by to take pictures uh, in my life. And I am indebted to you because you know I've said this so often, and now as this stage of life. Uh, we'll see the end of the radio career Friday show my last. So, gosh, it's clicking away. I've said this so many times in 25-plus years of this radio program. It's the listeners who make the show. It's your energy. It's your life flow through this show every day. Uh, your calls, your texts, and remarkable feedback that is why we do this program and why we get the results that we do. So uh, I thank you. And so if you want to, if you're at Agribition today, you want to pop by, I'm at the Saskatchewan Cattlemen's Association uh, in the International Trade Center just outside Exhibit Hall C. And uh, I was just chatting with a delightful listener who uh, was actually shedding a tear. And I that actually moves me at levels that you, you cannot assess and i thank you for that you're very dear well the latest story and not that i gang up on electric vehicles much uh you know evs are 
clearly the way of the future. But the fact that they are being pushed to be the future by government subsidy and, that's the carrot, the stick, government penalty on gasoline uh, and all sorts of other things, Canada has one of the more ambitious programs in the world, though not exclusive. Uh, The U.K., many countries in the European Union doing the same thing. By 2026, so the end of 25, one in five brand new cars sold every year in Canada must be zero emission, which is code, at least in this version, for electric. Then, by 2030, those one in five cars move to three in five, 60% of all vehicles. And then by 2035, 100% of new cars, trucks, vans, you name it, must be electric. Now, all along, there's been real problems with the grid. Uh, Battery capacity remains a challenge. And a lot of people who are into EVs, the numbers have grown exponentially. I mean, in Saskatchewan today, we're moving in on a couple of thousand EVs. I remember well when we didn't have 200. So EVs, but you've got charging issues, you've got uh, range issues, but the first adopters are all over electric vehicles. One of the issues, and this comes out uh, today, Global News tells the story of Simrat Such in Stony Creek, Ontario. True believer in EVs. Uh, First EV, very reliable, so uh, Mr. Such had bought the car, was ready to trade up. Now, we've talked on this show before about used EVs. I think there's a challenge. So Simrat Such has an EV, decides to buy a 2017 Hyundai Ioniq. And that's a nice, it's a sort of a smaller, lighter SUV. So Simrat traded the car for this Ioniq. But Simrat's the second owner. The vehicle had 69,000 K on it. The warranty on the battery was 160,000. So he had about 90,000 K left. Confident in the purchase, wouldn't have any issues with it, loved the vehicle. Now, finds himself at 172,000 K. So he's driving this vehicle. He's happy with it. He gets a warning light, uh, some diagnostics, some charging issues. I won't bore you with the whole story, but long story short, it turns out on diagnostics that the vehicle will no longer charge. He brings the Ionic back to the dealership he bought it at. And, of course, remember, that warranty was to 160 k It's at 172 and they're trying to make a big consumer story here. Hyundai and the dealership said, you're over your warranty. But here's the problem. How can I fix the charging malfunction? You need a new battery. And the battery plus installation plus tax comes to $50,000. Good grief. So Simrat has just walked away from the car. Uh, Global News uh, investigative team has contacted Hyundai, uh, and Hyundai needs a few days to investigate it, and they're jumping all over it. Uh, So this has become a consumer story. Now, 
One of the people speaking for Hyundai, and this is one of their PR people, uh, said, well, maybe the tests weren't as comprehensive as they could be. Um, the likely cost, um, precluding a definitive assessment of the required service, the, the likely cost may not be 50000 and on and on and on and on. Okay, so maybe it's not 50000 Maybe it's half that. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't be smug. But here's the problem. The bargain was clear. You buy a brand new, in the case of 2017, I'm sure warranties differ with years. You buy a brand new EV in 2017, you got 160K before nobody has any accountability for the battery. You buy it used at 70, you're going to get 90,000K. The guy drove it to 170, and he thinks it'll cost him $50,000. It's extraordinary to replace the battery. So for those of us who think EVs, if you never, ever left the city, would be an interesting buy. But the cost and that idea of is there any such thing as a used EV? I mean, if the batteries at some point just lose their ability to hold a charge and die, it's like a perverse game of musical chairs. Do you want to be the one who, when they pull the last chair away, is in the car that needs a new battery that will be tens of thousands of dollars hey i'm live on location agribition 52nd annual and you can find me at the saskatchewan cattlemen's association i'm gormley and this is 980 cjme and 650 ckom I'm John Gormley. Yeah, we were just talking about this uh, poor guy in Ontario, Stony Creek, who uh, was quoted 50 grand to replace the battery in that EV. (laughs) Okay, so uh, Chris and Regina said, you know what happens when the battery goes in my vehicle? I pay 150 bucks and replace it myself. Okay, lots of stories on the go today. I'm live at the Saskatchewan Cattlemen's Association booth at Agribition. I'm just outside Exhibit Hall C in the International Trade Center. And uh, our host for this, Grant McClellan, CEO of the Saskatchewan Cattlemen's Association, gracious host as ever. Hey, thanks for uh, sitting down for a minute. Thanks very much, John, for having me. You're busy. Well, I would try to keep myself active here and get my steps in. So, in the different, I'm fascinated at just the, you know, there's the genetic side, there's the regulatory side. I mean, you've got all sorts of people involved in this. Taking the pulse on the industry in Saskatchewan, where are we right now uh, in the cattle side of things? I think certainly we've come off uh, another challenging year for our producers, uh, another year of drought, another year of increased kind of government regulations, uh, increased taxes on uh, on the inputs that uh, our producers are forced to pay, especially in a situation where you've got drought and can't produce your own feed and you have to purchase feed. The cost of freight uh, to move that has made uh, livestock production quite an expensive endeavor for producers. So uh, I think lots of uh, challenges lie ahead, but we also know that uh, prices are good right now. And so folks are certainly taking advantage of that when we see the sale numbers. So, so when we look at the ultimate destination, which for most people is their grocery store, the chain from the producer to that grocery store, 
a lot of links in that thing that drive the price factors. That's absolutely true. Of course, we know the cost of fuel, but there is also the carbon tax on every single step of the way. Uh, there's also additional challenges when you uh, look at just the distance uh, that producers in Saskatchewan have to freight their animals and their feed. Um, and all of those things end up coming out in the wash, of course, at the grocery store. And, and producers are benefiting from high prices, but we also know producers would prefer to have better margins it's the price is is great but we don't necessarily want to see consumers struggle to be able to purchase our product so the the push on that um you know people blame the grocery industry i mean we've been through that cycle of the parliamentary hearings Uh, as you mentioned there's a lot of input costs along the way the actual sizes of the herds, does that become an issue on the supply side? It certainly is going to be uh, a pressure that's felt. I mean, most of our uh, beef production now is for uh, domestic consumption in a lot of cases, certainly a significant amount of the cuts. Uh, but we will see that upward pressure on price as a result of uh, the shrinking of the herd. And we know that the herd is shrinking. Uh, the auction marts, I think last week, uh, sales were just around 40,000 animals went to, went to market that's been a consistent number week after week after week uh, so that's lots of animals that are moving off of operations now we know uh, we'll wait till January to see some of the final count numbers of where those animals have gone but it'll take a long time to rebuild the, the our, uh, our herd again to get it to a point where we have a sufficient supply Grant McClellan with us CEO of Saskatchewan Cattlemen's Association the the larger issue away from the the ranch gate, uh, the whole question of meat in the industry. I mean, you've got the so-called synthetic meats. You've got uh, a fairly activist, you know, environment slash climate change group. Is it a different, more challenging time for livestock than it was, you know, if you went back a generation? I think in general agriculture is yeah. is struggling with that narrative uh, and in particular the reason we are struggling i guess so much in canada is because we raise our products in particular the livestock sector as sustainably as possible uh, we're some of the most sustainably produced protein in the world and i think people have uh, maybe been too far away or too far removed from the farm to recognize the ecological value and the sustainability and environmental value that these industries produce of course they have to be economical as well and they provide lifestyles and and of course a again just a job and and income for folks but they do it extremely well but even the grazing side of things there's been a a a good bit of uh, i can say activism from the industry about the value of grazing the value of what happens to grasslands is that a message that's getting through uh, we think it is actually that is uh, we've got great partners as we move forward in this level of, uh, of advocacy um, in particular Ducks Unlimited uh, we have the Canadian Cattle Association and a number of partners but I think people recognize that Saskatchewan has been traditionally a grazing it's prairie it's bald prairie and it's been grazed by ruminants for thousands of years and this is actually quite a natural process and the value that these animals provide not just to us taking food that we can't eat and turning it into something useful but also the value that they provide back to the land and keeping it a healthy landscape. Grant McClellan with us, CEO of Saskatchewan Cattlemen's Association. So to loop back to the the current environment uh, 
obviously Saskatchewan, just given the sheer size of our place, uh, you get some pockets where there wasn't a drought last year. There were some pockets, especially in cattle country, where a continuing drought uh, dragged on. What's the general look at the landscape of where the largest herds are and what the prospects are there in terms of feed and other issues? I mean, generally speaking, our feed moves east to west. Uh, the seven or so years in the southwest corner have been particular try, particularly trying uh, in the Fox Valley area and the leader area where it's been almost some of the worst conditions uh, that you'll find. But um, I think they have... They're now at a subsoil moisture deficit that they are going to take years to recover from. It will take a couple years of good moisture. Uh, the eastern side of the province where there was, again, a drought this year, but they've had an opportunity to have moisture in previous years. That'll be a quicker opportunity, I think, to recover. So we do hope that uh, that we just get moisture. I mean, ultimately, that's what you're counting <laughs> yeah. on is just for Mother Nature to cooperate. But uh, it's certainly a tougher slog uh, when we look at uh, on the western side of the province, and that's where most of our feed is moving to. Let me let the last word with you. I mean, obviously, the regulatory side is important. And, of course, you talk about things like the carbon tax. Uh, even provincially, um, the PST, uh, which is an ongoing issue. What are some of the things, if the industry could get changed today with government, what would those things be? I think, ultimately, uh, one of the top things would be to uh, have recognition through some sort of carbon credit program for uh, sequestration on native prairie and grazing land. Uh, That would be a huge boon to our industry to actually provide them the value or recognize and acknowledge the value that they're providing to that land. Uh, And the other piece is just to, as much as possible, recognize the value of producing food and producing it sustainably. And I think uh, governments need to be aware that that's an extremely valuable prospect and a valuable job that's being uh, being performed here and to tax those people in in such a way as to limit their ability to do that effectively or make a living off it, I think is is not putting enough value and not enough recognition from uh, certainly senior levels of government uh, on agriculture. In particular, like I said, the federal government is, is one we're challenged with. Grant, always great having you by. Keep up the uh, good work. Uh, appreciate your hospitality today, and uh, keep in touch. Thanks so much, John. Grant McClellan, CEO, Saskatchewan Cattlemen's Association, and that's where you'll find us here on location at Agribition. I'm Gormley, and this is 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.